Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today, as we do every Monday, 1230 to 1.30, right here on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. So please go to those sites and follow us so you don't miss an episode. And today we have back on our show, we have the pleasure of welcoming back Sean Kelly, who is the director of the Texas Medical Management Group. And we will be discussing oncology and patient navigation. This is typically a subject where um, it's difficult when we talk about free markets in healthcare, which we talk about all the time on this podcast, and why traditional medical insurance doesn't work all the time very well. Um, oncology can be a tough one. So I am hoping that John Kelly will help us navigate that system today. And without further ado, Sean, welcome back to our show. Thank you so much, Sean. It's good to see you and Janet. Hope you all are well. Yeah, we sure are. Thanks for being on. So tell us um, a little bit about, give us a little bit about your background, then we can talk more specifically about how you can help patients navigate through um, oncology. Okay, so my background, I was an entrepreneur before I actually got into healthcare, but my little brother at the age of 38, finished his surgical training. He's a very, very highly subspecialized surgeon. It's called craniofacial. They do a lot of reconstructive work, microsurgical. So be that as it may, he got out. Uh, it just worked real well for my wife and I. We were coming out of some business in South America. We landed here in Austin. I mean, he didn't have to recruit too hard. We all went to undergrad here and we wanted to be here. So it was nice to get here. Um, about that time, he decided to sign up with a big system. So I went into the big system kind of reluctantly, but I thought, well, I'd learn some stuff. What I learned was behind the scenes, how the machine makes money. And uh, that has pretty much been the theme since I left in 2014. And we decided to, to utilize the knowledge we had to improve patient outcomes, quality, and improve service quality, which is terrible in medicine, but then ultimately to drive down the cost of care. And so um, when you talk about surgery, which is our uh, start, our first business out of the gate, um, we worked very closely with Dr. Keith Smith and uh, learned a lot from him and doing the bundled episodes of care. And then from there, we have now branched into other things, including maternity. Um, but we've also now are working on oncology. I think what we'll talk about in the next hour is the missing piece in all this is patient navigation. Um, today, in, in well, today's healthcare system, annually we're given this little card that says, I'm in this network, go to these doctors in this network, and then we'll take care of everything except for copay, out-of-pocket costs, et cetera. And like little lemmings, we all do those things. And what happens is, our employer or whoever's paying the bill gets you know, screwed in the long run and by the cost. Um, in order to break people of that, I think we have to create a system, a patient navigation is a, a, a way of thinking about it to get patients to the higher quality, lower cost options that employers are finding today. Just like they do with your pharmacy, 
it's hard to find you when there's a CVS on every corner. But you offer a solution for employers, but unless, and the employer, you can work your tail end off and come up with the most imaginative, best plan to get the best results, financial and quality for the employer. But that missing link is between the employer and the member. And so uh, we've got six years of doing it. I'm sure you guys have been working on it a while yourself. And so it's kind of, to me, the, the missing piece and uh, so critical. Well, I, what, what got you to helping patients with Navigate? What, what was that deciding factor? Because, you know, most of us on, on Sean and my side about the free market, we, we understand that decision was made and, and, and you move forward. But what was that moment? What, what got you on this track? Well, it really became an issue of, we went out and we sold to local brokers, local companies, municipalities, school districts, and they were all complaining about the cost. Once we pointed out the issue around quality too, then they also chimed in, well, yeah, we have no idea about the quality. So they would say, okay, great. We really like what you're doing. But right now, United Healthcare, Blue Cross, you name it, handles all of this for us. We have no idea. We just sign it up. We, we do open enrollment in November. And then everybody has this card and we really don't understand how we could get our patients to you. So part of it is in the plan design. Part of it is making sure that there's an incentive because the financial outcomes of the existing system are so poor that patient out of pockets are on average around $6,000 for employers. So, you know, Joe Sixpack, Joe Lunchbox, most people in this country don't have $6,000 laying around right. if something happens in their lives and they've got to come out of pocket. So for that matter, most people are functionally uninsured at that point, right? Right. right. So we've all talked about that, but then the employer says, hey, well, I'm going to work with the Needhams. I'm going to work with, with Sean's company, Texas Medical Management, because they've got these solutions that are really going to help us drive down costs. Okay. So we insert ourselves into a direct contract, into, you know, some kind of bolt-on contract, a bolt-on plan, or in some cases, if it's an independent TPA, they'll allow us to come in. Okay. But still, the employees are still in the mindset of, I get a card, it's got United on the back, and I know what to do. Even if it is confusing and not very easy to do, it is the one thing that I know how to do when I have a medical problem. And when I don't do it, it's out of network and it causes a great big mess. And I've heard lots of people talk bad about it. So when you talk to HR and benefit people, some people are really, really in on this. I'd say it's five to 10%. I'd say 80% want these kinds of outcomes, but five to 10% are actually willing to like take the risk to actually do something different and make it happen. But again, if the employer's on board, if the plan's on board, if the TPA's on board, or if they're not, doesn't matter. If, if the plan sponsor's on board and we have a direct contract and there's a means for an employee to get to us and for us to be paid, that's one big step. We did that a lot. And then zero patients would come back, zero. We said, okay, well, we'll, we'll go out and we'll start doing some promotion. We asked HR, hey, could we like put together 
some banners, some posters, some mailouts, some things to slide into payroll mailouts. We even got to the, the most successful one to date, and we use it as our go-to is you take an 11 by 17, put a, a, a laminated full color, and you put it on the male urinal, you put it behind the stall, <laughs> and the female, you put it on the door. <laughs> that is the best way to communicate with people, as crazy as it sounds. But then it's still for surgery or for even for pharmacy, it's not top of mind when they go to their primary care doctor and says, oh, your son has a broken ankle. Let me go ahead and send them for an exam for an image. You get the image back and it is broken. Where do I go? So you may remember that special program, but you don't remember how to get to it. It's not on your card. And so patient navigation is really once you've got the employer on board, you've got HR on board, you've got the incentives in place written into the plan, there's a means to pay these alternative providers like us, then you got to be able to catch the member in the moment when they need to make a decision. Do they pull out the card? Do they let their primary care doctor refer them to the orthopedist right down the hall who's a part of the big major hospital system that's in network, still going to cost them $6,000 out of pocket, or do they remember maybe there was this number to call for the free healthcare services that are part of our plan? So patient navigation is either that where there's a telephone number or an email or a text where you can do it, or there's even other plan sponsors who've gone well beyond that. And one way they, excuse me, one way they do that is they'll put into the plan that a member, when they need to go see a specialist, they have to call this number to get an authorization. I'm using air quotes here because it's really more like a notification. When they notify the plan, they call into a call center. Sometimes it's a nurse navigator. Sometimes it's just a customer service. But that person then is fully read in on all the different options that are available under that plan document. So Janet calls and says, our son broke his ankle. We don't know where to go. We understand that the employer, our employers built this great plan of surgical, uh, surgical services bundled that are free to the members. We've looked at the doctors. We think they're great. How do we do this? Well, I'm calling for the notification. They call and then they say, okay, great. Well, I'll go ahead and send over your referral information to text medical management. And then our team reaches out to you, makes a call, gets the information that we need. We get the you know, medical records request, HIPAA compliant, you know, all those documents signed up front. And then we start the work of then collecting all the medical records. We then, of course, move those on through the pathway as it is on our side. But the navigation piece is really about we're radically changing the way members access care through their health plan. So you have to provide them a helping hand. So, Sean, this works not only with surgery, but it also works with um, oncology. Is that correct? That's correct. So as you think about medicine, uh, I'd say the vast majority, and I don't know the percentage, but I'm going to guess probably north of 85, 90% of medicine is delivered based on uh, a protocol. And protocols are just ways that we know that the evidence shows that that produces a positive outcome, a better outcome. And so, you know, when you're trained as a clinician, you're trained to utilize 
certain methodologies or protocols to get results. And so in surgery is no different than oncology. Uh, the vast majority, almost all primary treatment for cancer, 98% plus is based on protocols as developed by uh, national uh, cancer or oncology groups. Okay. So it's very clear what those guidelines are. There's certain medications, you, you get the diagnosis, you get the stage, then there's certain medications that you follow on a certain time rhythm and whether or not you use radiation based on the diagnosis or the location of the tumor, et cetera. And so when you think about surgery, it's very similar, but it, the episode's much shorter, right? It happens over maybe a 30-day period. You have a diagnosis, a consult, a surgery, and then post-op, whereas cancer can be extended over periods of time. Right. Let's say I had cancer when I was a kid, so I was in treatment for three years and four months, but there was a cycle, and that cycle was two months, and it was the same one over and over and over and over again. So when you have time-bound episodes or protocols, you can bundle those. And so part of what we're trying to do in oncology is just like we did in surgery. When we started peeling apart the layers of surgery, well, we actually knew it from the inside. The lion's share of money in surgery was going to the facilities. If you look at the national numbers, 85% of every dollar spent in surgery goes to facilities. So it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out Where's the cost problem? We need to work on that right. part. So in oncology, and we're talking about medical oncology here, in medical oncology, it's the same way. We look at it, and if you talk to oncologists, we know doctors and providers in healthcare are not getting wealthy out of this. There's not these huge, giant sums of money flowing out to pharmacies and flowing out to... Right. There are some, but some of them may be doing some sketchy stuff, but normal people, when you're like normally transacting and you're taking care of patients and you're following the rules and sticking within the guidelines of either Medicare, Medicaid, but most especially through the commercial payers, none of the professionals are getting rich. They're getting nickel and dime to death, but they're definitely not getting rich. But if you look at the episodic, let's, let's take that two month episode that I had, the two month cycle. It uh, was called a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma protocol. And so it had about six injectables, a couple of procedures, three procedures, and then it had a bunch of pills. And so it was the same thing over and over again. Well, if you look at the total cost of care for medical oncology, the lion's share of the money is going to drugs. Now, the drugs right now, the cost of drugs are being hidden within, in many cases, the doctor's practice because the doctor's sending a bill with a J code on it. And that J code may be reimbursing $15,000 for a week's worth of treatment. But when you talk to oncologists and you look at their, their numbers, I mean, we've looked at acquiring a couple of different oncology practices. They're not making any money off that. 30% of the time they're actually losing money. Right. So that's a classic case of big insurance company trying to limit the cost, doing everything they can, Poor doctor doesn't have the kind of sophistication and business model to like counteract any of that. And then you have the supply companies, McKesson, Cardinal, Marisource, who are like trying to push up against that boundary of what is just barely going to allow the doctors to stay in business. And in some cases, they're going out of business or they end up folding into PE or private equity groups. And then 
that whole mess happens. So in oncology, it was really easy. It was like, where's the biggest cost drugs? Why is it more expensive than it ought to be? Well, there's a bunch of middlemen involved. So it's the same thing as medical device, same thing as a lot of uh, healthcare. And so if you peel back the layers and you said, what if we were able to acquire the drug at the manufacturer? Now, there's a whole argument around whether or not drugs are too expensive coming out of the farm, pharmaceutical industry, but still they're the manufacturer, they're delivering the product, nobody else can do it. So, okay. Part of it is also making sure that when you're following protocol, you're following protocol that includes access to, to generics and that you're using the best knowledge we have today, whether that's pharmacogenomics or whatever, but you're utilizing the best knowledge available today to make sure that the patient's getting the absolute best drug to get the best outcome. Whether it's a name brand or a generic doesn't really matter. It just matters that you're getting the best outcome. So with all of that in mind, we believe that we can, we can do a Walmart disintermediation more or less on the supply chain in medicine for those types of drugs. We've got several different companies or yeah, companies that are very interested in getting in. What we found out was if we were to go back to the pharmaceutical companies and try to make those purchases, if you don't make an annual purchase of a billion with a B of a certain drug, they don't even want to talk to you. Yeah. So it's hard to disintermediate when you don't have the purchasing power. But we did find some people that do know that market very well, and they're in the specialty pharmacy market, and they have produced outcomes over the last couple of years that are markedly better. Now, we think there's still going to be some room to improve on that, but we'll start with, let's cut it from here to here, and then over a period of time, we'll do just like we did with surgery. We'll just continue to shave off where we can. And that's the medicine part. The radiation oncology, you know, it's being built through a medical practice. So I think the arbitrage opportunity there is going to be making sure that the patient doesn't land in a really big hospital system where they're being charged a whole lot more for the same service they might get in a private practice that has very similar type of equipment and the doctors are just as good or better. So that's kind of the game plan. And uh, we think we can execute on it. It's not going to happen real fast. You can't run out the door and go contract with a bunch of oncologists today um, and get this going. It will take a while, uh, but we do have two uh, beta customers that are signed up and, and want to get going as soon as we're ready to launch. Well, and one thing is, so well, thank you for sharing that. that that's, um, you know, with the diagnosis of cancer, um, I mean, it, it's, it's hard enough it's a scary enough thing for a patient already. So to have to na navigate through all of that makes it very, very difficult and even scarier. So anybody that can help them navigate through that, that's going to be a, a big, a big help. Um, and when it comes to the medication or radiation for that matter, which I don't know much about radiation, but when it comes to medication, you know, even if you can save 5% on the medication, and, and I'm guessing you could probably save more if you, if you get to the right source, um, you know, 10% off 15,000 is a chunk of change. It is. And you mentioned a couple of things that I want to ex expand on. So patient navigation is key to this. And 
what we believe <clears throat> is COVID has given us a little bit of a, a push or a wind in our sail. So two years ago, people used to travel for cancer. They don't travel as much anymore, but people that have a little bit of means or the motivation will travel to places like MD Anderson, Sloan Kettering, uh, Johns Hopkins, Mayo, different places that are known as, you know, producing good outcomes. So they have full programs. Um, but patient navigation is really important inside those institutions too. So there was a, a study done a couple of years ago by Michael Porter and Bob Kaplan at MD Anderson to try to see, help them build bundles for, uh, for cancer, for bladder cancer. And what they found was patients went in and they had to walk an average of 3.8 miles to go see all their doctors and specialists and get their treatments in one day. So what they've created over the last 20 years is something called an oncology nurse navigate. Now, is it, it's not always just about like, hey, you got to go down the hall here, take a left to go to that part. That's not the, the real part of a nurse navigator. Nurse navigator is really talking to the patient about their special circumstances. You're older, you're younger, you're middle age, uh, you have comorbidities, you have some allergies, you have some uh, other health issues going on. Uh, you've had some adverse reactions to certain drugs. Uh, you have a, a stage four or a, a, a more complicated case. Uh, you need surgery. All those different complications. Uh, the doctors know the answers, but the nurse navigators. And we did the same thing with my brother's program in uh, craniofacial as we did in epilepsy surgery. Uh, it's very complex, the pathway to get to the outcome. And it's always better to have a nurse who knows it backwards and forwards to hold the hand of the patient and walk them through. So we believe that we're going to employ uh, a nurse onco an oncology nurse navigator to basically handle each and every patient. And so they'll be able to say, much like the patient navigator I talked about earlier, they'll be able to say, you know, this is where we're going to go for our confirmation diagnosis. We believe having a second opinion is important and even in, in, in cancer is probably even more important. If you're getting ready to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, let's make sure we're going to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars on the right stuff for the right diagnosis. Right, right. And then after that, it's going to be like, here's where you go to get your medication at the best price. Uh, there's things called white bagging, brown bagging, clear bagging. You probably know all these things. I'm pretty new to this. Um, we're going to find a way to get the best financial outcome for the purchase of the drug that the doctor and the pharmacist say is most appropriate or best for the patient. Everything we've done has always been based upon the outcome. We're not going to change that at all. We believe that is one of those areas you do not cut corners because you cut them once, you have a bad outcome, and you're done. Yeah. yeah. Always focus on the quality. Everything else is on the table for cutting. So the doctor says, I need drug X25. Pharmacist says, confirmed. I think it's the perfect. And we say, that's going to cost $100,000. You know what? Now we're going to try to go get it for 80 or 75. And so we're not going to look at like a PBM. We're not going to look at like, oh, where can we get the best discount? Where can we increase revenue to us? We're going to be selling this as a service that's given to the patients 
uh, but paid for by the health plan in such a way that there's no reward for us for, re for reducing cost or an increase in cost. It's not going to be a percentage of anything. We believe that we should do deliver care in a way that we're paid for the time and expenses we have, and we have a profit. In these facilities, I, I can tell you, just as a healthcare provider, you know, you're talking about MD Anderson. I've never been to that facility, but I'll tell you, I've been to some pretty big facilities, and you know, and I I navigate these facilities all the time, and just walking into those facilities can be overwhelming for me. I can't imagine being a patient, you know, with a cancer diagnosis trying to go into one of those facilities. So, you know, just navigating the facilities is important too, and taking the other pressure off. What are we doing next? Is mm -hmm. you know, is golden. Well, you know, I mean, you you you're you're a patient also, like we all are. Yep. And when your doctor says, "Hey, just go down the hall there and go get that X-ray," and I'll I'll send it down. You get down there, and they're like, "Never heard of you before." <laughs> right. You don't have one of those machines here, and you're like, uh, "Did I miss the door?" It's <laughs> right. so confusing. And then you got to ask, "Are they a network? Are they out of network?" It would be so much easier because because if you think about it, so if you're an employer, and heaven forbid one of your employees get cancer, but if they do you have the choice of kind of letting it just go out to the system and let these people kind of ping pong the person around yes. till whatever financial outcome happens maybe it's good quality maybe it's not nobody really knows it's in network maybe it's not and so i think the day is here especially for cancer as much as complicated pregnancy as well that the dollars are so high on the potential outcomes that it behooves the employers to take control of this. And the best way to do it is to bring in a company like ours that's really focused on outcomes. And what we do is we marry together a nurse or someone that's a navigator who can help the patient know what's the best way to go. Now, the doctor is absolutely in charge and they absolutely work hand in hand with the pharmacist but they don't have to be in the business of buy and bill where they have risk. Same thing with facilities when we do for surgery. The, they get eat their lunch eaten all the time by the implants. We just take it away from them. So we've got, we got a way to buy those things in an alternative. Right. And the surgeon said that's the one he wants. So it's off of your shoulders. Same thing in cancer. We really believe if we can take away some of this noise that exists so the pharmacist is working as a professional, giving their advice to the doctor and the patient as to what drugs should be used in the treatment protocol. And then as circumstances change, adjusting. But they're working at the top of their license. They're really working for the patient and they're being paid very well for their professional time, which is actually the lowest risk way for them to earn money. They don't have to be buying drugs, selling drugs, right. watching drugs go expire sitting on the shelves with tens of thousands of dollars, watching a refrigerator go bad and lose $50,000. We heard that story. So, you know, it's like, get out of that business. You know, stop pimping things for drug companies and stop being the mark for insurance companies. Uh, the middlemen, if they provide value, that's great. But in many cases, that's just not the case.
So. Well, it's, you know, obviously you're preaching to the choir with me being a pharmacist and Jan and I mm-hmm. have talked for years about, you know, um, we didn't go to pharmacy school to be a, a copay collector for insurance companies. Um, you know, we went to pharmacy school to, to help people and, you know, our knowledge of drugs is and educating and empowering patients is how we help people. Exactly. And when we have conversations with surgeons, I uh, just had a conversation this morning with an anesthesiologist. Um, you know, my partners call it the, the mom and uh, motherhood and apple pie talk. And what I, because when we first talk to them, they're like, they look at us like, uh, you're not Blue Cross. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. Blue Cross. So why are you looking at me askance? They go, well, you know, they're like, they intervene girl. I said, yeah, so you like arm wrestling and they intervene girl. No. I said, okay, just listen to what I have to say. My motherhood and apple pie conversation goes something like this. It's if you work with me, I'm going to pay you fairly. You tell me what your time is worth. See, just tell me. And then we'll work out the amount of time that's required. If it goes over, we'll pay you. Same way, if it goes, if it's under, you know, we'll talk about it. But what we really want to do is we want to be able to uh, get your help with patients to deliver the care that gets the best outcomes and minimizes the disruption to your business. And then we pay you very fast, either at the time of service or within 10 days. Cash, you don't have to send us a bill. We've already pre-negotiated the price. And if we come up with a case that's weird and you say, well, this one's gonna require two and a half hours and all the highest one we ever had was an hour and a half, Sean, I'd be like, well, we know how much an hour of your time is worth because we've already calculated that and you'd say, Great, it's just two and a half times. Yep. And so we would just pay you. And that way fosters a system that allows the providers to have a relationship with the patients and not worry about collecting copays, bad debt. Am I getting screwed on the supply? We talked to an oncology group recently. And this oncology group told us that uh, the prices for drugs change daily for them daily yeah i mean the prices the the revenue they get doesn't change daily it's fixed right and it's locked in by an insurance contract usually so it is yeah so can you imagine being business like that exactly and from what i understand you you kind of mentioned it and i when i talked to dr smith one time about surgery for my son um he wouldn't quote, they don't typically quote hardware because hardware changes daily. Is that correct? It does. So Dr. Smith is a, is a facility. And so he has contracts in place and, and those things do change. They're, they, unfortunately, facilities have a target on their back from the uh, implants. Um, so we're, we don't have that same target because we don't own a facility. Right. So we're able to kind of work through the, I don't want to call it, it's not a black market. It's kind of like a, an alternative market, a gray market, where local reps are buying lots of supply. They have their own businesses, their distributors. And, you know, we'll call them up and they'll say, you know, I can move it for 500 bucks today because, you know, I've got four on the shelf. I only need two. So, okay. Right. So, <laughs> Dr. Smith has a lot more cases going through his system than we do which this may be a rate limiting step for us. Uh, you know, it, it, it would be hard to do the kind of business he does. 
and and keep for that reason though we differentiate from him we put our implant prices our cost into our bundles right because we noticed that our our variation on price was pretty low he buys a lot more so i'm, I'm yeah they're, they're it's it's a mafia out there and it's tough yeah right that's why you get, that's why you need somebody like you negotiating right i mean a, a patient can't do that at least most patients couldn't so so as we wrap this up sean um Tell us a little bit about um, what, what you have a passion for and what drives you to do this. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I was a patient. And so I always felt like I've had a debt to pay back. Um, I didn't make it to med school. I made it to the fraternity house and shorty house. And <laughs> the so I didn't make it there. My grades weren't good enough, but my brother and sister are both doctors. And I've watched how over the last uh, 15 years, uh, both of them have suffered from burnout. Uh, from, and, and I don't ever want anybody to put it in their mind that this burnout from any way, shape or form comes from patients. It doesn't. Nope. They get energy from taking care of people. Yep. They get burnout when it comes to looking at a revenue model where my sister's a pediatrician. She was in private practice for many years, took care of a lot of Medicaid patients. Medicaid paid $22 for a follow-up visit. So you think about how many patients you have to see in a day. Oh, you, but, get but you can't, if you're losing money on every patient, you can't make it up on volume, right? And, and $22 on a patient, you're losing money on that patient. I mean, that's crazy. $22. I mean, think about that. You can't get your oil changed in a car for $20. $20 anymore. I mean, that's crazy. And so, but what happens is you just shorten the amount of time you have with the patient. Yeah. So she got to the point where she's seeing 50, 60 patients a day. She's got <sighs> two nurses and an MP with her. Those all increase costs, but you know, you could, you're going to miss things. And so she's got to be in the room, right? Or you can't get that higher billing. And the insurance companies put all these rules in effect. Anyway, where I'm really going with this is, um, I have a passion for making, so have you ever heard of something called the quadruple aim? No. Okay. The triple aim was improve outcomes, uh, reduce cost and improve experience for patients. The fourth outcome, the quadruple aim is to in, improve the experience for providers. Okay. Insurance companies and those people, they don't really care about that. Right. No. Y'all are just the people stuck in the middle, like get used to it. You got the degree, huh? Well, the quadruple aim, what I, I read into this a long time ago, and I really firmly believe it, is that if you improve the experience of healthcare delivery for patients and the providers, you're going to end up with better outcomes no matter what. Because you got people that have, it's their life's passion to make people better. They sacrifice and sacrifice going to school, taking on debt, you know, spending years, if not decades of their life preparing for this. And they want, just want to take care of people. They don't want to document to the nth degree and get HPI points to make sure they get $5 more. No, they don't want to like have bad debt out their wazoo because nobody can figure out how to finance healthcare in this country or why we need to finance it because it's so darn expensive. Right. If we just take a lot of the bad actors out, we call it waste. 
take those people out. And then we, some of it's going to go to the providers, which then you don't have to see 50, 60 patients a day. Maybe you need to see 30. Okay. We're well, going to deliver better care anyway. So the actual purchaser is going to save money anyway. In the long run, you're going to get better outcomes. The patients are also going to be more willing to go to the doctor when they have problems. Right now, you know, we found out from some of our partners, the biggest problem with primary care in their companies was the fact that people had to take time off. And these are like people with chronic conditions that don't have any visible symptoms right now. But those symptoms, the, the lack of symptoms betrays that there's something going on inside of them that's going to cause a huge problem later. So they don't feel an urgency to go get it taken care of. Well, what happens is they got to take time off. They got to go to a waiting room. They got to go sit there. They got to write a bunch of paper. And then they get taxed $40 for walking in. And then maybe the lab company's out of network. And so they just got taxed 120 bucks. So they're just like, phooey, I don't care. I'll be fine. If I get sick, I'll go see the doctor. Well, those are the kind of patients ticking time bombs that explode and cost everybody tons of money. So I guess back to the point, the fourth aim I think is most critical. The third and fourth is if we can create a better relationship for patients and providers, we will fix the healthcare problem in this country. For sure. It'll happen organically one person at a time, not these top down Washington. Oh, we're going to solve everything by switching up RVUs or we're going to change this. Nope. Nope. OPPS system. Nope. Throw it out the window. Pay providers fairly quickly. Don't make them jump through five flaming hoops. Don't make patients get tortured to go see the doctor. Eliminate those things. And the only way, the way you can do it, because the bar has been set this high, it's $17,000 an employee. We can take out easily half, easily. And when you do that, part of it's going to go to the provider. It's going to make them better off. They're going to see fewer patients take better care. Their life's going to be better. They're going to want to work till they're 65, not cry when they're 55 thinking they got to still work. And then the other thing that's going to happen is part of that money is going to go back to the, the employee or the patient have lower out-of-pocket, lower premium costs, and then ultimately the employer is going to pay less. So that system is upon us. We just have to find ways in all the different spokes of the healthcare system to go in and viciously, aggressively attack the areas that are causing the most amount of waste. Absolutely. And you've picked a few of them already. And I can tell that you, uh, you know, you're very knowledgeable in this subject and you do have a passion for it. And so, um, you know, free market medicine is it's here and it's now and it's a, a revolutionist like you that are, you know, helping educate and empower patients to take charge of their own health, which is a goal of our podcast. So I appreciate you sharing this today, Sean. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Sean. Tell Jan Merry Christmas. Will, yes, Merry Christmas. And what is the best way to get a hold of a hold of you? So the best way to get in touch with me is uh, you can go to our website, TexasMedicalManagement.com. Uh, if you send a general email, it's email at TexasMedicalManagement.com, or you can reach me at Sean S E A N dot K E L L E Y at TexasMedicalManagement.com. Or you can call our telephone number, which is on the website. It's 512-275-6471. Amy will pick up the phone or Susan, and they can help you with just about anything. 
Awesome. I love it, Sean. Thank you for um, being with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Sean. And thank you for tuning in with Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much. Yeah.